Well, it's been a minute, huh? We haven't done Sunday school in what feels like four years, um, so we're going to have to get back into the swing of things. Um, but good morning. It's good to see everybody. Glad you uh, were able to make it this morning. Um, before we get started, uh, let's go before God. Let's uh, have a quick time of prayer, and then we'll, we'll jump right in. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for all that you've done for us. We thank you that you call us uh, from every corner of the world, that you call your covenant people to come uh, to worship you and to serve you and to learn about you. We ask that you would help us to come to know you, and not just through facts and information, but that we would grow closer to you, uh, that our relationship with you would deepen as we learn about uh, all the things you've done, as we learn about your covenants that you've made with us, uh, and that this would be a fruitful time, Lord, that this lesson series would be uh, fruitful for everyone, that we would um, just grow in our awe and appreciation for you and for who you are. All this, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so I was, I was trying to think about what the next series would be. Um, at the start of the summer, I was writing down a few ideas, um, just brainstorming. Um, some of them were really bad. Uh, and then I came to the conclusion that we hear the word covenant constantly. Right? You, it's impossible to go to church and to not hear about covenants. Um, but I, I realized that for something that shows up so often, um, it's not something that we talk directly about very often. Um, it shows up every week, right? At the very least, we talk about it when we do uh, the sacraments, um, when we do the wine, right? The, Jesus said in the words of the institution, this is the cup, um, this cup is my blood of the new covenant. Um, and then we hear when the baptism happens, we hear all about the covenant, we hear about baptism as uh, the initiation into the covenant. Um, but for something that occurs over and over again, and something that seems so important, um, we often don't have a very clear understanding of what a covenant is um, and how that affects us. And I think part of the problem is that covenants are all around us constantly, we just don't call them that anymore. Um, I think covenants are common. I think we have them in our everyday lives. I think they have existed forever. Um, but just because we call it something different, when we come to the Bible, we start to get these ideas that, well, it's something super fancy or, oh, yes, yes, the covenant. And then someone says, well, what is a covenant? You say, well, I don't know. So I want to start to unfuzz what a covenant is why it matters, um, what covenants are in the Bible, how does the Bible talk about covenants, um, what covenant are we in, right? how does that affect us and our relationship to God, how does that affect Sunday morning, how does that affect our families, how does that affect our kids, how does it affect our relationships outside of the church. Um, I think covenants touch on every aspect of our lives. Um, and specifically, right, the Bible and how it talks about covenants affects how we live and the things that we prioritize, the things that we want, um, the things that we do. Uh, obviously, right, we won't be able to talk about everything that has ever existed on the topic of covenant theology, um, but here's what I'd like to accomplish in the next, I guess, six months. Um, hopefully, right, we all come to understand biblical covenants, their purposes, uh, their terms. Um, hopefully, we all grow to understand how that directs and impacts us individually, how that impacts our families, how that impacts the church. Um, and if we have time, we'll also talk about alternative views, right? What other views exist uh, out there, 
right? We have uh, a strong understanding of covenant theology in the OPC, but even outside of the OPC and in reform circles, there are different understandings. Um, and then you go broader, there's dispensationalism, there's evangelicalism, there's Roman Catholicism, all these different ways of understanding covenants. Um, so those are the things that I'd like to accomplish. I just want us to kind of spend these next six months thinking about, talking about, meditating on why covenant theology matters, how that changes our relationship with God, how that affects us on our everyday lives. Um, but before we can even start to ask those questions, right, a good question to start with, I think, is what is a covenant? So I'd like to, to ask that question to all of you guys. Um, what is a covenant? How would you define it? Or how would, what would you say if someone said, so what is a covenant? G. It's like an agreement or a promise to carry something out. Okay, yeah. There's an agreement. Maybe there's a promise. Now, what else? John? I think it vastly differs from uh, really the root word of covenant is God's relationship to us. Okay. And that, I think, is what makes it so different. Because God binds Himself to us, it's um, self-maledictory, I guess you'd say. Mm-hmm. It's it's different than a contract. Okay. A contract is between humans and humans. You do this, and I do that. If you don't do this, I don't do that. But with God, we have nothing other than His own self-revelation to back up our trust and hope that he completes his end of the bargain, mm-hmm. so to speak. So I, I think it's, when you say covenants, I think in my mind, it's different than a contract. Okay. So for you, for you, you would differentiate, you would actually use different words for a relationship between people and a relationship between people and God. Yes. Okay. Um, Isaac, yeah. you going to supply, um, will you supply I will, yes. I wasn't able to do that this week. I'm sorry. I ran out of time. Um, Yeah, I think you could definitely make that distinction. Yeah, Michelle? Or sorry, Elaine. I think that it's still a two-sided contract, but it's just that God does both sides. Sure, yeah. Yeah, there's still a... Here's what I would say is that I think you could still call it a covenant if it's just between two humans. Um, But when it's between God and humans, God does it in a different way. Um, We're actually going to talk about that in a little bit. Um, But I think if we stick to maybe the broader covenants in general, um, right? there's there's a part of it where it's an agreement. There's promises involved. You brought up um, self-maledictory, right? There's consequences that you accept. Um, In covenants, if you say, I will do this thing, what you're implicitly saying or explicitly saying uh, sometimes, if I don't fulfill my end of the bargain, I'm willing to accept the consequences. Um, So I think there's, broadly speaking, there's two parties involved, Usually, um, it's an agreement. It's legal, right? It's not simply um, an informal agreement saying, well, I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. It's saying, here are the terms that we're going to set forth for our relationship. 
Um, so, do you guys ever enter into covenants in your normal everyday life? Covenant of marriage. Marriage. Yeah. That's definitely a covenant. What else? What other covenants do we encounter on a daily basis? Caleb? Church membership. Church membership. Okay, yeah, that's a good one. What else? We are in a way born into a covenant. Okay, how so? Um, if you consider sort of the relationship that you have with the nation that you're in. Okay. A covenant that determines sort of who you are, what the laws are, what the sanctions are. Yeah, similar. yeah, citizenship for sure. That's a covenant. <clears throat> what else? Michelle? Financial covenants like mortgages and car loans. Yeah, definitely. Mortgages, car loans, credit cards. That's Steve? Free work and I consider every bit I give a covenant, I will do this work for this money. Okay, yeah. Yeah, if, especially if you're a, contract, a contractual worker, right? There's covenant stuff there. Or even if you're just an employee, right? You sign a contract to work for Amazon or whatever, and they promise they're under the bargain, you promise you're under the bargain. Anything else? Okay. Yeah. If you if you sign a lease, you're signing a covenant. Or even neighborhood. Yeah. Maybe a, an HOA or yeah or the the the, the CCR, the community covenantal relationship or something. I don't remember. Um, I just learned about those in the last couple of weeks because we were looking for for uh, a place to live. Um, yeah. What else? Any other covenants that y'all can think about um, that you encounter on a daily basis? No? Okay. I think those are, those are some of the most common ones that we deal with, right? If you're married, you entered into a covenant. If you have a job, you are in a covenant. If you have a credit card or if you have a bank account or a mortgage or you have a community or if you have a lease or all these things, right? We don't call them covenants anymore. But the essence is very, very similar, right? There are two parties, both promising something, and there are consequences if either end fails to fulfill their end of the bargain. So take, for example, right, um, an employment, Let's say you have a contract that you sign for your job. Your company promises to pay you a certain amount of money, right? Every year they promise certain benefits. They promise certain kind of job security, right? We won't just fire you for nothing. And if we do, we'll compensate you. And you promise that you'll do the work, right? Here are the, the things that you promise to fulfill. You won't just leave, right? You put in two weeks notice or whatever. Um, and if either end fails to fulfill their side of the bargain... There's consequences, right? If you as the employee don't do your work, your company can fire you. If the company doesn't pay you, right, you can sue them and get your wages, right? There's a relationship, an agreement that is legal and sets the boundaries of this relationship. So what's the goal of a covenant? Why do they exist, Protection for who? For both parties. For both parties. Why does it? Why does it protect the parties? There are consequences. 
you make promises and consequences if you make those, you know, if you fail to keep those. Yeah. Yeah. Because it sets forth, here are the consequences for if you fail. Right? It protects you from... It makes it very clear what is expected. Yeah. And it really defines exactly what's expected on both sides. So yeah. Yeah, it makes it... positive and negative. So if you do this, then this will happen. If you don't do this, this will happen. So right. blessing and a cursing. Yeah. There's blessings for when you do the thing that is expected and curses if you don't. And yeah, it, it defines clearly what's expected from both parties. So that it's not just, well, we're just going to kind of shoot the breeze and see what happens. Like, no, here's what I want from you, and here's what you want from me. Done. Yeah. Yeah, it establishes trust. Absolutely. Because you're you're both committing to it. You're both willingly entering into it and willingly accepting both the consequences um, and the blessings. Anything else? Any other th- reasons why, Charlie? I, I mean, maybe I'm just adding on to what Tony said, but I think like the end, the telos would be peace and flourishing. We tend to think of covenants today primarily with like money because that's what we're used to. But these older covenants based on the first one given in the garden, there was no, there was nothing in that relationship. It was, this is who you are, this is who I am, this is, this defines, this law that we are establishing here is is for peace and for flourishing. You will do this and I will bless you. Yeah. So I think that is part of it. No, I think that's a great point. There's, there's more than just, well, let's make sure that we have all of our legal bases covered. Because think about a marriage. Right, a marriage covenant has legal parts of it. Right, I will love you, I will serve you, I will remain faithful and dedicated to you. And if I don't, there are consequences. There's a legal aspect to it, and yet there's a goal for the covenant that's not—it's not a prenup, right? It's not for self-protection. It's actually the goal of a marriage covenant is to unify, to bind together. And that both may grow and flourish and have peace together. Um, covenants are not simply about self-protection and making sure everything is legal and uh, making sure that you get the most amount of money that you deserve. Right? A marriage covenant is inherently about peace and about unifying together. So even even outside of sorry, Brittany, even outside of the Bible, right? These aspects exist in covenants in the world. Did you have something to add, Brittany? allows you to feel safe and free to fully invest into that relationship. Yeah. You don't need to, you know, keep back some of whatever it is, financial or otherwise. Yeah. As self-protection because you know that there's a redress built in alimony or whatever it is. <laughs> sure. But, you know, you can fully feel free and safe to invest, which leads to peace and stability and rather than two individuals looking out for themselves, which is right. not the yeah, no, exactly. There's, it, it definitely is for, it definitely allows both people in a marriage to feel free to give because you're trusting the other person that they will uphold what they vowed to do, right? You have both made vows, promises, here's what I will do. I promise to do this. And 
Notice, right, that our most common wedding vows don't have anything to do about what the other person will do. All right, it's not, I will love you so long as you love me. It's just, I will love you, and I will serve you till death do us part. And both people say that. That's freeing. Because <laughs> then you both can feel free that, well, they're, they're going to keep their end of bargain. I want to keep mine, and we will love each other, and actually it will produce peace and joy. Um, so those are, the, yeah, those are some of the, the benefits and the goals of a covenant. Right? Part of the benefit is now there's, there's clearly defined boundaries of the relationship. Because think about a marriage again. The covenant does not establish the relationship. The relationship already existed. Right? Two people, when they are dating or courting or what have you, right? they are, they are pursuing marriage. That relationship has already existed. And Lord willing, there's already love there. The covenant does not establish love. Rather, it unifies and provides the boundaries for that love so that both people can fully invest, fully trust each other, and fully give. Um, so it's not, the covenant is not the relationship itself, but it, it helps the relationship, it, it builds the relationship, it binds the relationship, and it provides the boundaries of the relationship so that neither party in the marriage is saying, well, I bet they're just going to go off and, and cheat on me. Well, no, because they promised not to. And Lord willing, they uphold that. Yeah, Matthew? I was going to add, too, similarly, the, if we sign an agreement, um, an adoption agreement, you know, it gives us, as parents, the rights and responsibilities and obligations of a parent. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also, that child, then, you know, it brings that child into a family. That child now has the rights and responsibilities of a child, of a family, not the state. Somebody who's being watched out for or looked, looked after. Yeah. Um, Yeah. We, have, you know, we don't make this covenant, we don't fulfill this agreement, but you know, it, it brings us in and gives us all these rights and responsibilities. Yeah, I, that's, a, that's a great example, right? An adoption, that the covenant of adoption, signing all those papers and stuff, brings that child into the family. And it's not, the covenant itself is not the relationship, but it builds that relationship up and provides all that structure and and makes it official and and real and helps everybody feel safe, right? That child knows now that they belong somewhere. So I think the point that I've been trying to make is that these covenants are everywhere, right? We deal with these every day, whether or not we, we call them covenants. So when we come to the Bible, right, we should not be surprised to find that there's covenants all over the Bible. Because covenants aren't just things that we do now. These are, these are things that have existed for a long, long time. Um, before people were signing on the dotted line, right? they were making covenants. And they were making oaths and vows and promises and doing these same things that we're doing, but just without some of the, the structure and the legalese. Right? There weren't 50 pages of, of annotations written by a lawyer. But they still had the same kind of, of purpose, right? To bind people together, to, to provide the boundaries, um, to help people feel secure, right? That, well, we made this covenant, and now we can be secure in this relationship. So it's not, it's not surprising that God does this all the time. God does covenants 
constantly. That scripture is, is not just full of covenants, but if covenants truly are, are how relationships are bounded and defined, covenants then structure our relationship to God. That scripture is, is structured and girded, girded by covenants. That this is the framework of the Bible. But it is not the only thing. But you, you can't really talk about our relationship with God without talking about covenants. So one of the things that, one of the common, most common covenants in ancient times um, was between a stronger king and a weaker king. Maybe you've heard about vassals, right, and suzerains, um, nice big words that we learned in seminary. The main point is a strong king would see someone weaker in trouble or in distress, and they would go in. They would help them. They would rescue them from this trouble, usually from an invasion force or something. And then once they had done that, they said, now that I have done this for you, enter into a covenant with me, and I will continue to protect you. I will continue to, to fight on your behalf, and you give me honor. You give me tribute. You give me glory. Right? The stronger king has, has rescued the, the weaker king and said, now enter into a covenant with boundaries, with Blessings and with curses. Right, this strong king would provide protection. Weak king would give tribute and honor. These are all over the place. And so, when God comes in and does this uh, this kind of covenant, it, it doesn't surprise anybody. Because think about the Exodus. Right, think about how the Lord rescued Israel. He goes in and he rescues a people who are in distress, and then he says, "Now enter into a covenant with me." And I will continue to provide protection. I will continue to, to fight for you. And you give me obedience. You give me honor. You worship me and me alone. Right, we're going to see that as we, as we watch Israel go through the wilderness and as Israel goes to Mount Sinai, that the covenant at Mount Sinai begins with, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. This is what ancient kings would do all the time. However, God doesn't do things the same way that ancient kings did them. Now, even though there's, there's similar structures that it looks the same, it's familiar, God doesn't do things the way the world does things. So what do you think? What sets apart God's covenants with the world's covenants? How does God do things differently? Everything he does is perfect. Okay, it's perfect. For sure. What else? How else does God do covenants differently? Steve? For birthday covenants are almost always uh, both parties looking out for their own self-centered. You know, it's like, what do I get to protect myself and you know, make it equal for both sides as best as possible? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah, not That's, that's a wild difference, <laughs> right? The world does covenants mostly for self-protection to make sure that it's equal and fair and that you're getting your portion, right? The, the strong king is concerned that he gets the tribute and honor. The weak king is concerned that he gets the protection and the, you know, the, the security of having a strong guy as his ally. But God does things differently, right? God doesn't do things for his own benefit, in fact, God 
almost exclusively does things for the benefit of, of the weaker person. What do we call that? What do we call it when God does things for the benefit of someone who is, is weak and doesn't deserve it? Grace. We call that grace. Yeah. Think about think about the marriage again. Because I think marriage, at least how the Bible wants us to think about marriage, is, is supposed to model how the Lord does covenants. Because I already mentioned it, but a marriage covenant is not conditional on the other person. Right? You don't make vows to the other person saying, I will love you so long as you do the dishes. I will love you so long as you change all the poopy diapers. I will love you so long as you promise to do all the auto maintenance and I promise to do all the laundry. Right? Like, that's, that's not what we promise. We promise I will love you. I will have you and I will hold you until, for, for better or for worse, until death do us part. Unless you wrote your own vows, which are goofy. Um, that's usually what, what most of us have vowed to our, our spouses. It's not conditional on the other person. Marriage is meant to be an unconditional covenant. One that is full of grace. Because of sin... And because we're not perfect, that's not how it always looks. And the Lord understands that, and that's why divorce happens. It's because we don't live in a perfect world. If we did, marriage would be unconditional and completely perfect. There would be no divorce. Um, But because of sin, right, that still happens because we break the covenant. But it's supposed to point us to something greater. The marriage covenant points us to how God does covenants. Because God says, I will love you, and I will be for you, I will have you, I will hold you for better or for worse, for eternity. And it's not dependent upon us. That's grace. And that's why the Lord uses this imagery of, of marriage a lot of times when he talks about covenants. And we'll, and we'll see that as we start to look into his word uh, in future weeks. How else, how else does God do covenants differently? They're grace. They're about grace, right? It's unconditional. It's about the benefit of, of someone else. How else does the Lord do covenants differently? Charlie. Can I ask, uh, play devil's advocate on your last point for a second? Well, I suppose. You said without condition. Would, would faith be the condition of the new covenant? That's a good question, and we, we'll probably talk about that later. Okay. But I think that's, that's a great question. Are there conditions to the new covenant? Um, the answer is yes, but we need to talk about that when we get to it. Okay. Matthew. Um, God also takes on all the penalties. Yeah. God takes on not just the penalties for his side of the bargain, but the penalties for our side of the bargain. Right, that's what the covenant with Abraham is all about. Right, do you guys remember what happened with Abraham? Who can tell me? Who can tell me about the covenant with Abraham? Uh, Dave. Uh, Abraham laid out the different animals cut in half, and then um, God passed between them with a smoking fire pot to, to basically say that 
my word is not going to be broken because I'm the absolute truth. I'm absolute honesty. You can trust me to live up to my share of the bargain. It's not based on a, a fallible man. It's based on the fallible God who says, I will fulfill my promises to you. Yeah. You missed one part, though. Yes, the Lord walks through this lane. So the... This was common in, in the ancient times. They'd cut animals in half. Instead of signing on the dotted line, you cut some pigs and stuff. Not pigs, but cows and, and doves and things in half, and you walk between them. That's signing your signature. Right? That's saying, may all the legal consequences, a.k.a. these animals being cut in half, may I be like these animals if I don't fulfill my end of the bargain. Right? It's pretty brutal and yucky. Um, and then they have a big barbecue afterwards. That part would be great. Um, but the point was... This was the curse. The point, they've, they've said it all really well, that God walked through the slain animals to say, I take upon myself all the consequences of the covenant should I fail my end of the bargain. What was missing is, he put Abraham to sleep. Abraham was supposed to walk through as well. Because Abraham was supposed to accept the consequences of the covenant too and say, may it be to me if I don't fulfill my end of the bargain. And because he was literally put to sleep and was unable to, God said, I'm actually going to walk through for the both of us. That God takes upon himself the consequences for his end of the bargain and for Abraham's. You know, I first thought of Abraham offering up Isaac. That was my first thought. And Isaac asked Abraham, where is the sacrifice? Where is the lamb or whatnot? He said, God will provide. Mm-hmm. When you think of this covenant that David talked about and the new covenant with Christ being the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, it's just amazing. Yeah. Yeah, that, that when Abraham was about ready to offer up Isaac, he was saying, I trust in God's covenant more than I trust in my own eyes. I, we can, I could not imagine what it would have been like to be like Abraham in that moment. What else? How else does God do covenants differently? So he does it. He is, they're gracious. Right? They are, he takes upon himself both ends of the bargain. What else? He initiates it. He initiates it. Which is not uncommon in the world. But because he is also God, that says a lot about who he is, right? That... He's outside of time and space. He doesn't need to make covenants with people. Especially because he wouldn't... What, what, what would he get that he doesn't already have? Right, the strong king in the world is concerned about getting more money, getting more power, getting more glory, getting more honor. Like God, has, God has all of that. He doesn't need that. And yet he says, no, I'm, gonna, I'm going to bind myself in covenant. What is what is the Lord saying? I'm not sure how to phrase it. What claims do God's people have on God in covenant? Do we have any any claims that we can make upon God? Sean? Yeah. The inheritance given to Christ. Yeah. That there's an inheritance by virtue of the covenant that's coming to us. God's promises to us. God's promises, all of them. Yeah, because 
this was a covenant established a long time ago. Like all the covenants that are in the script are in Bible. Man, I can't say in scriptures and then and all the covenants that were in the Bible were made long, 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 long time ago. Right? Long before our great 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 grandparents were alive. And yet we get to be recipients of all of the promises. So the Lord is not only right, not only does He do things graciously, but He does them for generations and generations and generations. He's faithful, He's unchanging, He's perfect. These covenants last forever. That the world's covenants are temporary. Even marriage. Right? In our vows we say, until death do us part. There's an end point for the covenant of marriage when the covenant will be terminated. That is not true with how God does things. There is no end point to the covenant we have with God. That if you're in the covenant and you are bound to God, you are bound to Him for eternity. That's it. And what is it, how does, how does the covenant affect God's people? Does it do anything to us? Do we, do we, is our last name change at all? Maybe I'm being too vague, but do we become part of God's family through the covenant? Yeah. We get set apart. Our last name changes, our address changes. Everything about us and our identity is now tied to the covenant. That no longer, we're not people who are just now in a legal covenant, but it doesn't affect your identity. Right? When you go to the bank and you open a bank account and you sign on the dotted line, you are, your last name does not become you know, Isaac Olympia Federal Banking. Like, my last name doesn't become Isaac uh, Waco, whatever the other bank is. Nothing about my identity changes. But when we become, when we join covenant with God, everything about our identity changes. Because we are now part of a family. And so it's no longer just, well, I'm, I'm still me, but now I have this covenantal obligation. It's now I am part of God's family. And right, the flip side of that is that now God becomes our Father. Because that's another wild thing that God does that covenants in the world don't really do is um, mutual belonging and possession. That when the Lord joins himself in covenant to his people, think about Exodus. I will be their God... And they will be my people. I will be their God. And they will be my people. That it's not just that the people belong to God. But now God belongs to the people. That was kind of what I was getting at with what claims do we have on God. Is we actually have a claim to him himself. That he belongs to us. And if he were ever to, you know, not uphold his end of the bargain, we could call him out on it and say, God, you're not upholding your part of the covenant. And God would say, don't be stupid. I'm God. Right. And he put us in a place. And that was Habakkuk. 
Remember that whole story about how Habakkuk says, God, you're not holding your end of the bargain. You're not upholding your part of the covenant. And God said, sit down, I'm going to school you. And then Habakkuk was like, you're right, sorry. <laughs> John, do you have some to add? Yeah, I thought it was interesting when you talk about Exodus. I think the first uh, statement that God makes is that he remembered his covenant with Abraham. Yep. And not that he ever forgot it in the first place, but I think it was a reminder to his people that he's aware of what he promised to do. Mm-hmm. And it's not too slow or that he forgets. Yeah. It's just the timing was there. And so he, it's interesting when you talk about Exodus that he opens that whole saga with he remembers his covenant with Abraham. Right. Yeah, that's Exodus 2. As, as Israel's crying out, Moses gets exiled. And then there's this little, little snippet before God calls Moses saying, The Lord remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw Israel and God knew. Here's a, here's a little quote um, that I think is, is really poignant. Um, Faith in Yahweh makes it possible for Israel uh, to not only know its religious status, but to also assert itself as a people, as one nation among the others of history. Israel is a human group that has its own God and belongs to this God. It is a people that has entered into an agreement with the Lord and has received the gift of the covenant. Faith in Yahweh is Israel's identity. Their identity is Yahweh is my Lord. And that's not only something that Israel can say, but that we can say. That we are, and our identity is formed by our relationship to the Lord and the gift of covenant. So that's, that's how some of the ways that God does covenants differently. Right? The Lord is, he does covenants for the good of the weaker person, not for his own good. He does things graciously, unconditionally. He does things perfectly. Um, he gives himself over to them. Right? Covenants in scripture are, are, are not simply legal contracts. They have legal parts of it that are important. But how the Lord does these things is beautiful and wonderful and loving. So I hope what we learn um, in the next six months is that covenants are are foundational, they're important, they're structural, um, but they're also beautiful. They're part of our relationship to God. Um, They help structure our lives, provide the boundaries, um, and they also give us an identity. An identity that will last for eternity. Um, are there any questions or comments on all of that? Awesome. Um, well, next week we will start talking about the covenants in Scripture. Um, so, looking forward to that. Um, but before we close, uh, let's end with a time of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for all that you've done. We thank you that you don't do covenants like the world does them. That you are not concerned for your own good, but you are completely concerned with our good. Lord, thank you that you call us your children and that we get to call you Father. That we can have security in that 
that you're not going to change your mind, you're not going to go back on your promises, but we have this covenant to, to cling to and hold to, to remember that you are faithful, because you've been faithful for, for forever. Thank you, Lord, for all you've done. And I ask that as we learn about your covenants and as we open up your word, that you would teach us and grow us and that we would um, come to understand who you are and who we are more and more. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.